Listener Production. G'day, you are listening to episode 95 of the Howie Games Part B featuring hoop star Paddy Mills. Let's keep rolling. So who and where was your first NBA game? My first NBA game was at the Staples Centre in LA against the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I, I, I think one of my first stats was an assist that I made to um, a teammate for a corner three ball pocket three. Um, I, I remember that vividly. It's like one of the, you know, the first moments of a game, yeah. So how do you end up, because it's sometimes hard to follow in, in American sport, how do you end up from where you were at Portland to what's been a career-defining situation at San Antonio? Like what, what happens? Um, well, to be honest, the lockout happened, mate. Um, of course. You, yeah. you ended up back here playing for the Tigers or someone, didn't you? Yeah, it, it's, again, you, you, right, you, you get drafted into the NBA and, and here you go. It's um, a major sport in America, if not the world, a lot of money involved. Um, and you quickly learn the business side of it and, and what once used to be, right? Let's go back to three years old and walking onto the court and just happy to be out there, right? There, there's a bit of that that is taken away once you become that professional athlete. So that's, that's what I learned and especially with injuries, um, you know, and, and played a lot more significantly, a lot more my second year. Um, and just as I felt like I was getting my, my groove going, especially leading into, um, you know, the next year was going to be the, the London Olympics, um, the lockout comes down and, and that affected everyone. So in, in my, you know, my situation, I was like, well, you know, I've come off this foot injury. I've played, a, uh, you know, a number of games um, you know, well, I played a lot during that, that second year of mine. I want to keep playing. I, I can't, you know, afford to spend some more time off, you know, being coming back from this foot injury. So, um, yeah, that's what I decided to do, to come back home. And it gave me a chance to be able to play in front of some family and friends that have never seen me play um, <laughs> live basketball before, which was really cool and, and, and really appreciated that time spent. How do you get the ball? Let it go. <laughs> Here he is. Splits the D. It's all the way to the rim. We want more of that. Um, but I guess that was that was the connection. And then once the NBA uh, came back on, um, that that spot opened up in in San Antonio. And mate, I remember getting that phone call too. And there was a few others that that came about that. But I was all locked in. Um, you know, just on the San Antonio Spurs. You, you've heard the reputation uh, yeah. growing up through basketball about the organization, the winning culture, the championships, the um, Hall of Fame people, the coach, right? There was something there that I knew from the get-go that I, I just got to get there, I just got to get involved, and then I'll work out, all right, how to set my roots and, and how to become, um, you know, who, who I got to become to be able to have some longevity with this um, world-class organisation. Um, and, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I get excited when saying this stuff, but um, it, it's cool to think back that I, I've been able to spend nine, nine years here um, in San Antonio. So how long into that stint at San Antonio, and you'll know exactly what I mean by this, how long, how many games, how much of a season or two seasons or X number of seasons till you feel like you're an integral part of the basketball team, that you're not playing for your spot every match, so to speak? Oh, 
Yeah, I I know what you're saying. Um, Look, I I have had so many great teammates. I mean, you know what? I've won an NBA championship, but it's still hard to really comprehend what that what that means in terms of the big picture. But you know, my teammates are Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and and Tony and and these just aren't teammates, right? These are teammates that have had a massive impact on on me just as a person off the court, if if anything, just as well as they have on the court and and being a professional athlete. So you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever able to be to relax enough to be able to say that mm-hmm. I'm um, comfortable with the position where I am because I think that's um, as a competitor and as someone that constantly wants to learn and grow as a as a as an athlete as a basketball player. I don't think that's the right mindset to go. So so I take it as the point of always being on edge and and always setting the example for myself first. And then if if other people follow, they follow. If, if they don't, well, they don't. But I think that's how I look at it. So I'm going to be honest with you, mate. Um, even now, as the longest tenured member of the Spurs, I, I still have that that mindset. You know, I get in there, I, I do what I need to do to be able to look after my body, whether it's in the weight room on the court um even watching film like simple stuff like that um i I love it i I dig deep into it um i'm all about the science of how you know the the body works when it comes to professional sports in particular basketball um yeah i've become an educator of of the game and and i've and i've enjoyed it misses on a nice drive la to mills get a quick shot here if you want to go two for one So let's talk. Let's indulge me and put a smile on your face and talk about the 2014 championship. I was going to say, you said let's talk. We we haven't been talking for the last 50 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, but now we're really into the hoop side of things. All right, let's go. Um, (laughs) You're up against the Heat who'd... who knocked you guys off the previous year? You were out injured in the, in the last stage of that finals campaign. Wade throws it up to James. The Spurs will not foul. Final seconds. What a finish! It's back-to-back titles for the Heat. The 2013 NBA championship resides once again in Miami. What is an NBA? finals campaign like like how big is it patty yeah it's it's big it's heavy um you you can feel the eyes that are on you um and not only on the court um just in general i mean we we are already being in the nba but i mean that hits a whole nother peak um when you're in the playoffs and and then again when you're in the nba finals um, what can I tell you about it? Um, police escorts, um, flights, um, hotels locked down, right, so that you're able to um, get some peace of mind when when you're playing on the road. In in our case, it was it was Miami, <laughs> which is which is not the easiest place to to be locked down for for fans. Um, you know, trying to get a piece of you. Um, it was it, the finals is unbelievable. These two meet once again in the championship round that is sold out AT&T Center. That's where it all begins in game one. I mean, just speaking about the court too, and the practices or the shoot-arounds that you have, not even the games, and, and the courts are, are packed with media, and, and you know, it, it's, it, it is very distracting. And, you know, you, you probably see it if, if anyone watches a Super Bowl. You know, you have a yep. whole... 
performance at half time, right? It, it ends up being different to what a normal preseason game is like, and and rightfully so, you've made it to the biggest stage, but but it is very distracting, and and it takes that another level of concentration and professional um, mindset to be able to stay locked in, I guess. So just prior to game five, you must be leading three one. For those of an Australian sporting background, you know, the coach speaks to the players before they go out in the ground in a game of NRL or AFL. You've got a, well, you've got one of the most famous coaches in the caper. What happens just before you run out on court as a team with with the coach when you're one win away from being the NBA champions? So this is 2014 now you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, you're going to bring back the, all the emotions and feelings now uh, describing about it. Um, that That's an interesting point, and, and I remember that vividly. I'll be honest with you, mate, a, a cool story that I don't know if a lot of people know, but right before um, game one of the NBA Finals in 2014, we're up against Miami. We haven't, we haven't even had a practice yet or prepared for the heat, right? We've worked our whole season um, in 2014 to get back to this stage so that we can have some redemption on, on the year prior. Um, and I remember walking into the film room because we had a film um, meeting that was that was scheduled before practice. So the whole team walks in there. We sit down on 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 the seats, and and you know, Coach Pop gets up. Um, and the first thing that he asks everyone, he's like, "Do you know what day it is today?" And everyone kind of just stopped and looked at him. You know, oh, well, isn't today we're meant to be talking about LeBron James and Miami Heat? And there was silence, but he goes, today is the 3rd of June and it's Marbo Day. Does anyone know what Marbo Day is? Wow. And I kind of, like even now just saying this story, like, you, you know, like rock drops in your throat and this thing, I was like, is he, he's not talking about like Eddie Marbo, you know, what I think he's talking about, is he? And sure enough, he goes into a full in-depth um, little spill about who Eddie Marbo is and the impact that he had on uh, Australian history um, and how massive he was and, and comparing it to, um, you know, Martin Luther King in, in that sense, right? And you can imagine me, like, I'm just sitting there, you know, eyes like this. I was like, no way this is happening. I'm meant to be talking about um, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and that. But but he did. And, and he even put a photo up on... Uh, on the TV, on, on the slideshow, um, and it was him in his shirt, you know, big afro, big beard, so that everyone could uh, get a picture of, of who he was talking about. And, mate, um, after that, he's like, well, you know, that's it for, for today. Let's, let's head out on the floor and talk about Miami Heat. So that, that's a memory, mate, that I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the feeling of that. Um, very, very cool moment. That is one of the best stories anyone's told me on this podcast. So thank you for sharing. That's a ripping story. So but before we get to game five and uh, and the championship, what's it like playing against LeBron James, Patty? What's it like stepping on to the same court as him and w- why is he? We see from the outside why he's so good. So it's a two-part question. What's it like playing against him? But as a basketball and as a professional athlete, why is he so good? Leonard to steal, nice advance pass, Patty Mills, layup, blocked by James, swatted out of bounds. Yeah, look, you know, the first thing that stands out to, to, the, um, to the average person is just his build, his, his physique, 
um, you know, him being an athlete and the extraordinary things that he's able to do that, you know, not a lot of people are, are able to. Um, you know, and, and, you know, one of the examples is him, him coming at you full speed and all you can do is just stand there to, to take one for the team and take a charge, you know, and, and, and that hurts, let me tell you. But um, <laughs> I think what makes him so great is his ability to make his team better um, by getting them involved, by giving them confidence um, and make them feel like they're having um, a significant impact on the team just as much as he has. He still understands that he's the man and he's the one that's going to get him over the line. But that was um, an unbelievable team that they had in Miami over those years um, and the championships they won. Um, and it was scary to come up against them um, going for a three-peat, you know, like that they said when when that team was put together those years ago that we're going to win not one not two not well they were on track for it and and yeah. we were there right sitting like well oh, this is scary because they they they're trying to do what they um what they said they were going to do so you're sitting up 3-1 like you said and we're coming back home from San Antonio after having some significant um wins in Miami by by 20 a piece like I, I remember vividly and I always get when I go back there now Games um, three and four were just absolute silence in that whole American Airlines arena. You could hear a pin drop. I mean, we didn't let a chance for the crowd to get involved in that game, which was which was massive. The Heat fans may not see their team again this season. Perhaps a chance for those fans who remain to say goodbye, and that'll do it. The San Antonio Spurs with another masterpiece, and they take a 3-1 lead in the 2014 NBA Finals. So we get back for, for game five and it's like closeout games are hard in playoffs. Closeout games in a final series is even more um, difficult to do. You, you yeah. know they're coming at you. You know they're going to throw everything at you. Welcome to San Antonio, Texas, where the 2014 NBA Finals resumes and could possibly conclude tonight as the San Antonio Spurs host the Miami Heat for game five. But it's the big stage. It's like, for me, that's what I, I live for. You know, I, I live for those big moments and trying to make big plays and at big moments for the better of the team. And, oh, mate, I, I wish I could... I wish every game was like that. Um, the, the crowd, the atmosphere, <laughs> it, was, it was deafening in there. I don't remember a lot of things about that game, but I remember 1-3 that kind of hit the front rim. It kind of rattled around, but as soon as it dropped, uh, I remember that noise that night being, being deafening, yeah. Bonner on the drive, back up top, Mills for three. Gets the bounce. For those that followed it or don't, third quarter championship game you got 14 of your 17 points and you're just dropping three-point bombs patty like look at the smile on you you're just dropping them from everywhere it's a 14-point lead and the heat need a timeout mills for three spurs running away a 17-point lead it's the biggest game of your career and you've hit a sweet spot yeah um yeah I, I don't know mate it, it's now when you look down you know you fast forward a little bit and you're looking back like I've become a fan a little bit of the game you know I think the game has been showed a couple of times during quarantine and, and you flick to it I don't watch the whole thing but you you, you catch yourself you know being a fan of of your own game you know and, and it's pretty cool that way 
But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what happened that stage, mate. Um, like I said, those big moments. Bills. Bang! Again, Model recognizes he's hot, gets him the basketball in transition. Another dagger three. Um, big time plays that need to happen, whether it was on the defensive end um, or not, you know, creating havoc, um, creating turnovers. They all fuel the other end of the court on the offensive end. And, and I think that was the case. And I was able to um, sneak one past LeBron James. I remember catching it in the corner, driving at baseline. Um, and th- there you go. He couldn't keep up with me. Tell that to the big <laughs> penguin. I'm and, it was, and it was a short space as well. And I was able to get a layup off without him blocking it. So uh, there's some evidence for the big penguin. But, um, yeah, it was one of those things that, yeah, you, you just catch the ball in rhythm. You have good feel and um, and you just let it fly. And then the crowd gets involved. And, you know, there, there was a point in that third quarter, like you said, where I, I you know, posted it the other day, actually, because uh, I still get the goosebumps watching it. But, again, you know, that feeling of playing with some of your best friends in big moments to be able to accomplish something massive for, I don't, I don't know if there's anything big, bigger than that, mate. Just the story within the story, some real technique stuff for you here. I, I don't know a hell of a lot about basketball and I haven't played much of it growing up. When you stop and prop, and you're outside the three-point line. Is it pure muscle memory? Is it all physical? Is there a mental side to it? Like, take me to that spot in a game where you're there, you're just getting set, you're outside three, there's all these seven-foot men around you. Where do you go, or does it just happen that quick that it's muscle memory and years of training? Yeah, I love it, mate. I love this kind of stuff. I can spend hours talking about this stuff, uh, getting down to the nitty-gritty, but... um, to be honest, it's it's all of that stuff, everything that you just mentioned. There's so many um, parts of being able to shoot a three-pointer with everything going on in such a, a split second of time. Um, yeah, a lot of it has to do with muscle memory. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the mindset and the confidence to be able to take certain shots and, and have faith in yourself, right? But that's all come over time um, and and the more that I've been able to understand how my shot operates um, yep. and, and where I get my um, power from and, and legs and all that kind of stuff, the more um, efficient I can be on those things. So, you know, again, it, it's back to being able to find the little things that you can continue to learn from to be able to, you know, help you. And, and my shot hasn't always been the same my entire career. Like I've adjusted little things um, to go as I grow up. So that's just been from finding all the power in my legs, which comes from my, you know, my backside um, to be able to create that energy. Um, muscle memory, being able to make sure that the elbow's in um, and all the power, because this stuff is the muscle memory stuff that, you know, I remember laying on my bed um, at my home with dad, just constantly flicking the wrist, that kind of stuff. So that's where the muscle memory comes from at, at that point. And then, you know, once you're in that moment and you're in the air, it's all zeroed in on uh, on the basket and you don't see anything else. You don't um, hear anything else. Um, and it, it's one of those things that it kind of take, takes you back to those um, quiet, silent moments when you're the only person in the gym, you know, working on whatever you may be working on, counting down. Um, that's the type of thing that happens in the game in those, especially those big moments. You know, it's almost like 
do everything you can to be able to set your man up, get open, because when you catch and shoot it, you're the only one there and no one's watching. And, and you know, when you get to that point, I think you can become a, an elite um, shooter, especially in the NBA. Mills is five of eight from downtown. As Mills lines up another three. Oh, this man can shoot. 14 points in nine minutes off the bench. 11 of the 14 here in the third. He has electrified the crowd. The ball movement, once again, unbelievable. Oh, Patty Mills does it again. Just giving him too much space. Here's a guy that's red hot. Give me goosebumps. Give me goosebumps now, mate, which, which is outstanding. So, game finishes. San Antonio Spurs are the world champion. The Spurs have captured their fifth NBA championship. Paddy Mills from Canberra and the Torres Strait Islands and outback South Australia is what the Americans call, which I always enjoy, a champion of the world, an NBA champion. What happens next? We were talking about the last dance and you see Michael gets into the change room and he's straight on the big cigar. Oh, I don't know if that's your go, but, but, but what are those moments after the ultimate in your sport like Paddy? And to the San Antonio Spurs. You showed the world how beautiful this game is. And now let me present the Larry O'Brien Trophy to this year's NBA champions. Well, I'll tell you this, it's a cool story because another one of those vivid memories I'll never forget. But um, as soon as the the siren goes, right, everyone swarms the court, um, people, media, all that kind of stuff. And before you know it, you know, you don't know where you are, you know, on the court, where you, who's where, where's your team, you know, you, you find yourself not even close to the bench that you were on. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just absolutely pops out is my mum and Alyssa. They already have their uh, championship hats on. <laughs> Um, and before they could say anything, you know, it was a hug and a kiss. And then mum's taking a selfie with me. She's like, selfie, selfie. And I looked at her, I was like, how do you even know what a selfie is? I didn't even know you knew that. So it's a it's an iconic photo within our within our family anyway of that, that moment that uh, my mum captured a selfie of me, her and, and Alyssa. But um, yeah, look, straight onto the to the stage. Um, and when we're onto the stage, and and this was a, a ma- and I don't think I've ever told this story, but a, a massive moment that happened um, earlier that day. Um, we're sitting having breakfast, right? Alarm goes off in the morning. It, it's it's game five, NBA finals, San Antonio Spurs versus Miami Heat. Had a good sleep. Alarm goes off. Okay, do your morning ritual. Have breakfast, shower, whatever. Sitting down, having breakfast with uh, with the missus, and it's silence. We're not we're not talking about anything. It's just like you know, you can feel that energy in the air, and. Um, and the, the backstory is, is that we have a friend that owns a pub here in San Antonio, an Australian pub. It's called the Rue Pub. And um, I helped him, you know, you know, put some decorations up, um, which is cool to make it, um, you know, a little bit authentic that way. And one of the things he asked for actually were three flags. If he could put three flags up in his pub, it was the Australian flag, the Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flag. And uh, he's had this place for, you know, for some time now. So as I'm eating breakfast, I remember silently just saying to Alyssa, like, 
can you go grab those uh, flags from the from the Rue pub? And she, I said it so quietly that she went to say something back and I just said, don't say anything else, just leave it there. Like it's like, you know, you don't want to jinx those moments kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you fast forward to the game now and, and we're up on stage and all of a sudden you see the missus just make her way through the crowd and hand me the Torres Strait flag and there you have it. I mean, there's photos that goes around of, of the Torres Strait flag that's around my neck all because, you know, somewhere during that day she went down to the pub, grabbed those flags and the Aboriginal one was there too um, and the Australian one. So she gave me the Torres Strait one and Bainesy, Aaron Baines, who was on the team too back then, gave him the Australian flag. So when you see photos, it's unbelievable that that, that was the, the thing that happened Um yeah, that, that was a cool moment, mate. So, so that's what happened after the game to answer your question. It's a cool story, but um, I really enjoyed that one. And we see, and I want to talk to you in a moment what the NBA is really like, the day-to-day grind of being a professional athlete. But obviously we see that the fancy cars and, and the excess and the extravagance that comes with big-time American sport. Was there a big-time party? Um. I mean, it lasted a long time. I'm, I'm not going right. to lie. Like, you know, we win an NBA championship. Um, but, no, there, there was – this is what happened. I'll, I'll give you the insight. After we won and, and everyone done the, you know, the spraying of the champagne in, in the locker room and kind of took our time to let it sink in, I remember sitting on the floor just trying to soak it all in, um, we actually all went – to a restaurant, uh, a very nice Italian restaurant, Tre Trattori, it's called here in San Antonio, that we had um, all to ourselves. And um, it was obviously Coach Pot was the one who organised it. And it was um, it was all the players and their families. And we just went to that restaurant and just sat down, had unbelievable food and had, you know, quiet drinks um, with, with, you know, our immediate Spurs family. Um, Mate, so if that answers your question, I mean, that was a really um, special moment to know what you've just accomplished and then it was straight back into that family setting of, you know, let's let's all let this sink in while we're sitting here on this back patio together um, eating some, some really nice pasta. Sounds like a fantastic way to celebrate. More of Millsy in a moment. The last episode of the show featured former New Zealand cricketer turned broadcasting guru Ian Smith, a man who actually played way back in the day in the infamous Underarm One Day International. In those days, they called it a slog, yep. right? These days, of course, it's it's a shot over Cal Corner. Yes. Beautifully calculated, which means <laughs> some of these young kids about a million a year in the IPL. <laughs> but I was just a dirty slogger. <laughs> so anyway, I played one of the most god or the second last ball with the most god awful shot you've ever seen in your life. And you kept low though. It. Did keep low. I didn't it didn't bounce. No. Uh, it bounced slightly more than the next one though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. So 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 you, you walk off, um McKechnie comes in, he needs yeah. six off the last ball Take me – do you get into the rooms when it's happening? Like, take me back to that, that time. You're right, okay. Long walk. Long walk from off there uh, when you think you've let the side down because at that stage we couldn't win the game. Six would have tied it. Okay, so we'd missed the opportunity to win it. So you're feeling a bit hollow about the whole deal about that. Um, you're walking up. And as I was walking up, my captain, Brian McKechnie, gone past me. 
privacy because you've got to cross on the ground. But as I was going up the steps into the viewing lounge, the MCG had a viewing lounge and then a dressing room underneath. Um, I, I just vividly recall Jeff Howarth, my captain, running past me uh, in a T-shirt. Um, he had his uh, beige trousers on and he was in his socks running past me. And I thought, that's a little bit weird. You know, that's a little bit odd. But still I was in this disappointment zone, I guess. I, I walked into the thing, basically, you know, I said sorry and, and, and walked down the players' thing. And then I, I still in my pads heard this almighty kerfuffle upstairs one of our guys threw a cup at the television. Other guys were swearing and cursing, and other guys were. So I ran up, still in my pads, and just took it all in. And one of the blokes said, well, he's going to bowl underarm. And I thought, really? You know, really? Why? That's Smithy in episode 94 of the show. And as I said in part A, if you missed Big Luke Longley in episode 39, check it out. It is a wild ride, as you'd expect when you're playing alongside Dennis Rodman. He was gregarious. In one sense, in that he he wanted to dress up in in chicks' clothing and go to weird places and do weird things, um, which was fun. Um, do you ever slide into a dress yourself when you're going out with him? Or hard to find dresses for seven foot two, you know. Dennis is sort of a more regular size, but and the pumps, you know, it's really the pumps are the real challenge. What size um, are your feet? Seventeen. Yeah, so not a lot of size seventeen pumps getting around. Um, <laughs> So I just had to make the best I could. But uh, but he would get on the bus on the way to the game in like, you know, a feather bow and a pink tutu and say, like, fuck, let's get him, boys. Yeah, you know. On game day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Ian Smith in episode 94, Luke Longley in episode 39. So much for you to listen to, so please go back and have a listen to the back catalogue. If you've missed any episodes, please recommend the show to anyone. That would be fantastic. All right. Let's get back to Paddy. We talked about the real life of the NBA, Paddy, which this behind-the-scenes stuff really fascinates me. I think it's on record the last couple of years. It would be right to say you haven't missed a um, regular season match. So you've played 82 games, 82 games I think it is. Throw in all the travel and the hotels, which I'm used to, and the different beds and you wake up in the morning and your different time zones. What goes into you being out on the court every single day from a physical point of view, from how you look after yourself and what you eat to a, to a mental point of view, to a spiritual point of view? That, that's a big question, but how do you get out there night in, night out and play and perform? What goes into that that we don't see? Yeah, mindset first and foremost. I mean, you really got to be in a mindset to understand um, what it takes to be an NBA player to be able to perform at your best for a long period of time. I mean, you know, you're playing 82 games in a season and that doesn't include any games in the playoffs. Um, and then you, you play for Australia in the, in the off season. So it, be, it tends to be a year long worth of, of playing games. So you really need to understand the workload of, of what you put your body through and, and how to, um, handle that. So when it comes to adversity, I think all of that stuff has already happened at some point to get you to this, to this stage where you can, you can see those things and how it can probably persuade you or I guess it's getting a bit dark here, mate. We must be talking for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. That's my fault. No, no, all good. Uh, I enjoy it. <laughs> if it starts to get light again, then we've got a problem because yeah. we've been for 12 hours. <laughs> no, but but it's a good point because, yeah, that, that – 
the, the question that you're asking is is really what it takes to be a, a, an NBA player for so long, right? Because the, the yes. schedule of an NBA um, um, schedule is what makes the, the league so hard. Um, so you're right, going from planes to buses to hotels and, and over again. I mean, the, the amount of times that we we spend on buses and planes um, is, is incredible. I remember Manu Ginobili done a stat and he actually recorded how many times over one season. I don't remember the numbers. Um, and, and people start to think, oh, yeah, but, you know, they're chartered planes or they're nice hotels and whatever. Yeah, but they're still you're still flying and you're still in another, you know, person's bed or another hotel bed so that they all do take its, take its toll for sure. But, again, if you just got to go back to... What will what can you do to put yourself at the best possible position when it comes seven thirty at night and the ball goes up that you're going to be ready to go? And I think that's what I've been able to develop over my NBA career. Um, and let me tell you, it's it's all started long before that ball goes up. We talked about the. Um, I love Patty the the showmanship of the American sport. And again, we come back to the Last Dance and everyone that is interviewed on it. I don't know if it's the American thing. They speak so well and they speak in sound bites and with such professionalism and, and passion and energy. It's one of the things I love about American sport. The other the other part of it is is the showtime side of it. What is it? Uh, what's the best way to ask this question? I, I don't know if you have a fancy car, Patty, and, and you can choose to tell me that or not, but but what, what's it what's it like in, in – in an environment like that, that is you're highly paid, um, how do you deal with that crazy side of life? And do you look at it as crazy? Like you deserve every, every cent you get. Don't get me wrong. Every athlete that performs on that level deserves everything they get. But it's um, from the outside, we just see sort of fancy cars and private jets. How do you look at that side of life? Well, if the sun was still up, mate, I could probably show you outside. I've got a two-door Volkswagen Golf that some of my teammates thought it was my missus' car, to be honest. <laughs> so uh, I, I've definitely owned that. I was like, yeah, that kind of that hurts a little bit, but it is what it is. Um, but that would be very unusual in your team, I would imagine. Oh, mate, I'm pulling up against Bentleys and Mercedes <laughs> and that. So, yeah, it, it is un, unusual, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, look. Um, so why don't you have a Bentley or a Mercedes? I don't think I need one. I mean, this gets me to practice and games just fine and back again safely. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. look, I, I think it's the stuff that's intriguing, right? It, it's people enjoy seeing the glitz and the glamour, you know. It, Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's like highlights in a game. People want to see buzzer beaters and dunks and windmills and all that stuff. And, and you get it. What makes the game exciting and, and people keep coming back and, and wanting more. Um, and I think to your point, that's what, um, you know, American sports do a good job of showing off that, that kind of stuff, which is great. It's great for the game. It's great for the sport, right? It gets people engaged all the time. Um, but then again, you know, I think in my instance, it's, it's all about my, my culture and what I've learned growing up. Um, and I'll always be able to refer to that. And, and I think that I've got such a unique platform that I've chosen to use my platform to be able to give back. Look, I, I understand what basketball has given me and, and my family throughout my career. Um, so who would I, you know, what kind of person would I be? 
to not be able to, to turn around and, and give back to people that, that have helped me get to this stage. And that comes in many forms, whether it's, you know, to do with the family, whether it's to do with communities, where it's, you know, providing clean drinking water to, to communities throughout Australia. I mean, we, we can go through the list, but to be honest, that's, that's the stuff that really, um, you know, gets me going is, is that I can use my platform and, and really turn it around and, and make some serious impact and, and, you know, better, better people's lives and, and, and that way too, right? They're the type of things and values that you want to teach your kids. We don't have any kids, but I can tell you that, you know, the kids that hopefully are watching and the youth that are watching, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing those things because they're the things that should be passed on and, and passed on and passed on to a point where, you know, they, they, they can put on the green and gold and represent your family and, and your country the, the right way as you should. So, look, I'm not saying that, that you know, players and athletes can't show off and, and have their little flair to it. I'm not saying that at all, but I think there's there's a point where, you know, you've got to understand what you're showing to your youth and, and how you want um, them to carry themselves as well. So do you have to think about what you're going to wear to the game? Do you have 35 suits in the in the closet there because there's some sharp dresses arriving at the start of those games? Yeah, look, that that's one that's been a hobby of mine actually. Is a, and I think that's all come from my missus. She's the fashionista. Um, so I've been able to pick some some uh, some of her skills when it comes to that department. But um, again, you know, all, all ways to be able to show your, your, you know, your identity and your creative side, I guess. You just talked about... Um basically social causes, which I know you're heavily invested in and involved in, in lots of different areas. What was it like coming back to Australia when the bushfires or brush fires, as I noticed they call them in the States, were, were in full swing and you were involved with communities and I know you went to, to Bunnings and were buying equipment. I presume you'll tell me you got as much back from the communities they gave to you, but what was it like and how were you treated? And, and yeah, what was that experience like, Paddy? Um, there's, a li- there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of mixed emotions. I mean, a, a lot of good, a lot of bad, you know, like there's, there's, there's a lot as, as you know, you guys probably experienced yeah. um, being back there, but I think, um, you know, first off, it all goes back to, to identity and, and understanding who you are as an Australian, I think, um, and, and given my culture. I think when I saw the landscape and the wildlife and the communities um, all up in flames, I, I really felt the effects of that. Uh, excuse me. And um, maybe it's been because I've been so far on the other side of the world for so long, but I see all of those things as a reflection of me. Um, and I guess an example is like when people over here in America, especially Texas, think of me and Australia, they think koala or kangaroo automatically before anything else. So, you know, those those animals, right, they're icons of our identity and it's known throughout the world. So, um, you know, to be honest, it, it felt like a, a member, a family member that had been lost. Um, you know, you, your heart dropped. I mean, I don't need to tell you all of this stuff, but um, all of that, you know, seeing those images, I mean, that's what our culture is built off. That's what our... Uh, uh, our land is is built off. So the songs and dances that I sing on a daily basis here, traditional ones, they're all about the land and and the animals and the the wildlife, the oceans. So the next uh, next step 
um, was just trying to find a, a way to be able to make a, an impact. And again, stars aligned. Um, All-Star break was coming up, so we had to whip something together pretty quickly. Um, and we got on a plane and, and, and we flew back there. But um, look, some some really good stuff. I think, um, again, going back to the, the Fire Country book, I think that was the, uh, you know, one part of the impact that we were able to, to try and promote is, um, is the environment. Um, and I think that's where it's like, look, I think, uh, you know, I'm proud of the job that we were able to do and make an impact on on, on all those things. Um, but I also acknowledge that there is so much more work to do. And, and until everyone, I think, until everyone understands the fire protocols that need to be in place and, and truly have knowledge for, you know, our land and how to look after it so it can nourish, um, then we'll be able to hopefully prevent wildfires from happening. But until then, I think that's when I'll, I'll truly be able to say that, you know, we, we've done a good job. We've, we've uh, made an impact and, and, in, and, and enjoy that part, I think. Paddy, the, the whole reason I started doing this podcast was to hopefully inspire and motivate the audience through the stories of athletes. I can't think of someone that can meet those guidelines better than you are in this discussion. So, so the role of a role model, and you are a role model for um, all sorts of communities around the country, but I would have also thought young kids, business leaders, you cover the whole gamut. What does it mean to you to be a role model? Um, it's a massive responsibility, isn't it? But you, you seem to you seem to handle it with grace and style and almost an easiness, an easiness is the way it looks. Yeah, it is a responsibility. And, and I guess the, the, if it comes across easiness, it, it's because I'm just living my, my lifestyle as I've been taught growing up. So, you know, in, in saying that, it's, it's not like it's any different. It's, it's, I'm not putting on anything, you know. This is how my mum and dad and my family taught me to, to be, you know. And, and again, you know, I think a, a lot of it, especially with the give back stuff and, and setting examples and, and being role models, comes back to my parents and, and how they are able to be. Um, combined with my culture and, and everything that um, culture means to us and, and what comes with that. But, being a role model, I think, I think for youth first and foremost, because um, that that's what really gets me excited is, is how I can, you know, first be an example for myself um, that that is right, and then I can only hope from that point that the youth uh, are watching and learning because, um, you know, they are the next generation. Um, they're the ones that are going to be carrying on culture and traditions. They're the ones that's going to. Um, have to understand work ethic, the ones that are going to be putting on the green and gold and, and represent Australia the right way at, at the biggest of stages um, and the ones that are going to look after the land and, and the ocean and, and our environment. So, um, you know, until then, 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 they, then they can pass it on to, to their kids. And, I mean, I, I guess that's how it works. I, I can only imagine. But that's how I look at it anyway, that, that this is much bigger than myself this is much bigger than the game of basketball and, and I just want to try and influence as many people that as I can, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, um, so that people can, can get to the same place that, that I am um, 
because it's 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 pretty cool. <laughs> oh, oh, it's and it's it's a brilliant answer. Listen, you, you've been so good with your time. We haven't even spoke about the boomers. So let, let's not go back and look at um, 2008, 12, and 16 in the Olympics and coming up in Tokyo 2021. Now, just answer me it this way: What does it mean, and what thoughts do you have? As opposed to San Antonio, where you've got thoughts and feelings when you step on the court, what is what does it mean to you to step on the court in the green and gold? More than anything, absolutely more than anything, and um, and you know I'm I'm not afraid to say that, but you know it, it's it's uh, again it comes back to everything that we spoke about. I think throughout this 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 podcast is understanding who you are, understanding what's gotten you to there, um, and being able to. Um, turn around and and represent your country the right way by you know doing all you can out on the court. Eight turnovers for the USA. Australia has nine. Bogut Mills wheeling around for the three. Bottom of the net. We're back to within two. And you know, specifically speaking, as a as an Australian Olympian, um, especially within basketball, we haven't um, achieved anything in that space just yet. Um, so you can imagine my my mindset um, and my preparation and what it's been to be able to prepare for the Tokyo Olympics. Um, it, it's been on another level and that's how my preparation has been. Um, it's been postponed, obviously, um, but, but that's the level that, that I'm at. I, I can't wait to be able to step out on, on the floor again. Um, it, it's, it's burning inside of me. I've got a longer preparation to be able to prepare for. Um, but the green and gold, mate, at an Olympic Games, um, for I don't know if there's anything better than that. That that's the that's the pinnacle of it all. I think being able to represent your country the right way. Um, the only thing better than that is is bringing home some uh, some shiny silverware, and and by shiny I mean gold. That's that's what we're going over there. We're going to Tokyo Olympics to to win a gold medal, and I've made sure everyone over here understands what what we're coming. It's like bat out of hell, mate. My coach even I tell him on a regular basis, like I'm I'm coming for you, mate. I know you've been good to me for the last nine seasons, but. I'm not playing uh, Mr. Nice Guy anymore, especially when I put on those colours. But that, that's where all the motivation and, and passion for. And I, I don't know why. I don't know why, you know, I've, I've accepted a role for so long here in San Antonio. But, mate, when I go back and, and put on those colours, I, I, I really step it up a, another level and, and who knows why. <laughs> Beat the Americans recently. From the elbows, Mills. USA rush up the floor, they come up empty. Here it is, folks. This is Australian basketball history. For the first time ever, Australia brings down the number one team in the world, the USA, and they've done it by four points. It's 98-94 Australia. I see it, but I don't believe it. Does that fuel belief? Does it fuel desire? Does it do something for the team to know, wow? Oh, look. I think we've always had it. Uh, what I hope is that I, I hope that win had done something for our, our country and our fans to be like, you know, we're we're not messing around here. When we say that we're we're coming after a gold medal, no, we we mean it and we believe it. So I think um, you know that win didn't necessarily do 
um, you know, more or less for us. I, I just hope, you know, the the not only the basketball community but the, the bigger audience of sports um, understand that we have something special here as, as um, Australian basketballers who are going after history here. Um, you know, and, and we understand the effects that we have not being able to be in Australia and, and, and play in Australia often. Um, so it's special for us to go back and, and, and um, play on home soil when we get the chance. But look, I, I guess that's, that's why we get so passionate because we're gone for so long. So when it comes back for a massive, you know, event like the Olympics, um, it, it, it's on when, and we're ready to roll. Patty, now you get my daughter. Who's 10? Her name is Sky. You've met the big penguin. Now you get to meet the pickle. Oh, let's talk, mate. Let's talk. You get to meet the pickle who you'll soon realise why. Um, she showed a bit of courage in this little question. Okay. So bear with me and I'm a proud father, but just indulge me. Hi, Patty. Pickle here. I've been watching videos of you playing the guitar and you're really good. I've been learning the guitar for six months and at the moment I'm trying to learn Wonderwall. Ooh. That's her jamming? Um, yeah. What's your favourite song to play on the guitar? Wow. So she wanted to know what your favourite song was, but again, I'm a proud father, and like any proud father in that situation, she said, do you think I should play some? I'm a bit nervous. I said, it's up to you. And she did, which I was stoked about the first time anyone's heard her play. Um, but but uh, she wants to know what you're playing at the moment. That is awesome, mate. That is truly an impressive and, and well done for her. I, uh, I'll have to try and match that, um, that wonder wall there. I, I, I used to play that um, when I was younger too, growing up. Um, but... Geesh, guitar stuff. Look, I, I play a whole whole lot of stuff, um, you know, and the reason why I say a whole lot of stuff is because I find ways to be able to turn them into my own sort of flavour. So whether it's, uh, you know, a, a rock and roll song, I like to slow it down and try to create something cooler of my own. But um, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but my dad was the one who started playing yeah. the guitar um, and I grew up watching him and just kind of, um, teaching myself different things of how I can learn it. So never took any lessons or, or anything like that. Um, but uh, I'm glad she's been been watching, mate. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get a jam session together, me and her, when, when we get back because that's uh, – how, how old is she? She's 10. She's yeah, 10. 10. And she's banging out uh, Oasis. That's uh, that's impressive. Good on her. Yeah, she loves it. What type of guitar you got? That was the other question she wanted to know. She just got a a, a new Martin, which she's very, very happy with. That's a great question because I don't get asked that as much as I would have loved, but I have a Maton. I, I keep it right. Australian here, mate, just as much as, um, as you can imagine, but all ways to be able to stay connected. Um, we got some Queensland wood, some Maton, really nice, sings like an angel, mate. Right, you'll have to play it for me at some stage. I would love <laughs> to hear that. I, um, I've got two questions more for you. People will listen to this and think, wow, this man has so much to give. You're in the middle of your sporting career, so I don't know if you've even thought about it, but what are you going to do, Paddy, in eight more years when you've won six more titles with the Spurs, you're a seven-time championship player, you've got past Mike. Um, what will be next, do you reckon, or do you have no idea? 
So eight years, that will put me close to 40. And if I want to do anything that Manu Ginobili has done, he was still playing at age 41, I think it was. Wow. <laughs> and even Vince Carter, mate, even he's, the, you know, the stuff that he's pulling off at, at his age is, is pretty remarkable. But, you know, again, it's, it's, it's those, um, you know, role models like, like Manu who, who I've watched closely and how to be able to... Um, play until that age and look after his body and, and do what he, he needs to do. Um, but for me, look, my, my goals, um, you know, I, I love setting um, goals that I can accomplish, tick them off the list, you know, long goals too that I can, you know, really pushes me to get there. Um, we've got the Tokyo Olympics coming up that I'm looking forward to being a part of. Um, I think you got to throw in the fifth Fifth Olympics there, which I don't think is is truly out of the out of the question. If I can, um, you know, keep my body at at, at that reasonable um, health and and injury free, hopefully, like like everyone, um, and then being able to, uh, yeah, I don't know, continue what I've what I've had here in in San Antonio. Um, you know, once it's once it's all said and done as well. So, I don't know, mate. Yeah, as you can see, I haven't really thought too much about, no. um, you know, what life will be like after basketball. I can tell you it's going to be a lot of spearfishing involved and a lot of ocean work. But um, in all serious, mate, look, I've gotten to a point where I understand my platform and, and I understand I've got a great opportunity to be able to create create um, pathways and, and other opportunities for other um, indigenous people in, in Australia through, you know, not just sports, but, but all avenues. So I think if, um, if I'm able to be able to, you know, do something that, that, you know, I'm committed to that. That's something that I'm committed to. And, and we've been working, you know, a lot on some, some stuff during the quarantine here, but that, that would make me really, um, satisfied, I think, to see, more Indigenous people um, at the elite level playing basketball for Australia um, and over in the NBA. Um, and if I can find ways to be able to um, help impact and make that happen, mate, I, I would be truly, I would be truly, uh, you know, that, that would be almost better than an NBA championship, I reckon, seeing, seeing that, yeah. As a waterman, we'll need to get you down to my part of the world at some stage and get you in a nice, thick wetsuit and get you out there. Too cold out there, mate. Too cold for me. <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> last question. Last question I got for you. Um, we are blessed, Paddy, to have a lot of kids listen to this show on the way to basketball training with their parents when things get going, or footy, or piano, or maths lessons. For young kids that are listening to this, and, and it really is a blessing that we do have a lot of young kids listen to this show that want to achieve something in their life. As a man with so much passion and has achieved so much, what, what's one bit of advice you could give them? Never forget who you are. Um, understand who you are. Understand your identity. Understand what makes you you and never forget about that. Um, make the most of the smallest opportunities um, and turn them into bigger ones. Um, but just because you chase a dream and, and um, you know, you, you hope to accomplish that dream and, and, and go on a journey to hopefully accomplish that, that dream doesn't mean that you leave it all behind um, because what's going to get you there eventually um, is, is your identity and you understanding who you are and, and what makes you tick. Um, I think that's, you know, very simple, but I, I really think it, it hits a spot, especially for youth, that if they can grab onto that at, at, a, at a young age, 
It's something that they can always refer back to if, you know, things don't go to plan or if you hit some hurdles, you hit some adversity. Um, you, you just got to go about it how, how you go about it. And that makes you unique. It makes you um, special that way. Um, but don't forget who you are. Even, even if you do make it, if you become a scientist or you become a, a teacher or a, a sporting icon or, or a musician, whatever it may be, you know, truly understand who you are and, and never forget where you come from. And, and if you're able to give back as, as much as you can, because, um, everyone that was in, involved in your family and your circle to get you there is the reason why you're there. Patty, people often ask me, that listen to this show, if you could recommend what episode, what would it be? And there's a couple I throw in there. Um, a guy that played for the Bombers that served in the Second World War by the name of Jack Jones, Luke Longley, a man you would know well because he blew me away. Uh, there's a few others, but now I will say have a listen to Patty Mills because that's what this show is always aimed to be about. So I can't thank you enough for not only taking me through your basketball story, mate, but your life's experiences. Um People will listen to this and enjoy it. For me sitting here, though, in isolation at the moment in Barwon Heads at 10.30 in the morning, it's made my week having a chat with you, mate. I really appreciate it and you've given me a real lift and that's a, that's a nice gift you can give someone, so thank you so much. Yeah, no worries, mate. This has been fun. I'm glad I could get you away from the kids for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll pretend that we're still going for three hours. I'll just put you on record and stay in here. Mate, stay safe. Um, I hope you get to play basketball and... and uh, do what you need to do, but enjoy the time with your wife and your dog. Um, and I've loved it. I've loved every moment of it. And I can't wait now for the Olympics to roll around and see you back in the green and gold. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. I will do, mate. I'll let them know that you said hi. But uh, thanks for that. It's been fun. Wow. I hope you were as engrossed listening to Paddy as I was talking to him. What a ripping fella he is. I'm fascinated to see what area of life Paddy will go into once he retires from basketball. Whatever sphere he chooses, I have no doubt he will be a wonderful leader. Thanks, Paddy, for coming on. Thanks to Lockie Reed from 10 Perth for putting me on to Snez Hay from Speak Communications, who teed up Paddy. Snez was an absolute star in getting this to happen. Tara, as always, to the main man, Darcy Thompson, for getting the show out there. Because we're talking basketball. If this podcast was the Chicago Bulls, then Darcy, well, he's our Michael Jordan. That is how good the kid is. He is our Michael Jordan. Craig Bellamy coming up on Thursday, May 28. Until then... Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.